One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello Broncos fans and welcome to the second episode of this week's Broncos Weekly Episodes. What a terrible intro, but I'm running with it. Anyway, <laughs> as always, I'm, I'm your host Mitch and I'm joined on the line by your good friend Simo. How you doing Simo? Yeah, better than your intro, but you know. Uh, mate, it's alright mate. Look, I'm obviously overworked. I've become two shifts this week. I'm overworked. Well, we're not going to have to record for another month and a half now, so that's alright. We'll get a rest. That is, mate. And we're joined by another good friend of the program, we're jo- better known as Pythago NRL on Twitter or anywhere else you choose to do your rugby league haunting online. But uh, Liam has joined us to to join in on the rugby league and Bron- Brisbane Broncos goo feasting and talk with a bit of a more bit of a stats spin on it. Anyway, how are you doing, Liam? I'm good, thanks. Hi, everyone. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we thought we'd do a bit of a chat with Liam first and uh, answer answer some questions after that you've been all sent him in. But uh, first, we want to ask you, Liam, mate, how does it feel coming on this episode following up Chris Gary? We've totally stung you on that one. Yeah, I feel a little bit um, like I'm going to be in the shade this week. But look, if I really ramp up the rhetoric and uh, <laughs> outrageous statements, I might be able to get a bit of my own sunshine. So I think I might accuse a few players of being pedophiles later on, and we'll see. <laughs> well, we've accused Carl Morris of that, so you know. <laughs> we, we have, we have I mean, sorry, it's not just limited to players. It could be the entire organisation. Sorry, yeah, it wasn't up. us personally, but just our guest. Yeah, um, we, uh, I just will separate myself from any of those accusations of pedophilia. I, I probably don't separate myself from those accusations. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough chat to follow, but I'm hoping you have some form of Pangai upside takes because those are what this program is based on. But, you know, potentially not Tamalola level, but where do you see the ceiling, mate? Are we talking, you know, LeBron James level ceiling for Tavita Pangai? Uh, no, I don't think so. I actually looked at this earlier. So I have a player rating system that mm. I've been working on for a few years now. And I think, I think the ceiling and the floor are about the same, but the average is not. So Pangai's okay. average is obviously not as good as Tamalolo's. You wouldn't expect it to be. Well, that's yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it kind of falls in line. I'm surprised the floor isn't further down for Pangai, but I am truly of that belief. With, I'm with Chris Gary that the ceiling is not far apart from each other. Just all the other things with Pangai aren't there. Well, so I was chatting to um, Harry Ramage the other day about, well, that take from Chris Gary and TPJ and Tamalolo. And I said to him, and I don't know if Harry fully agreed with me, but I said both of their ceilings I feel are about the same. But I just feel that, like, Tamalolo's average is also about his ceiling. Like, they're about the same there. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. He, he comes out every week and performs really consistently um, at, 
at or close to his ceiling. Yeah, and that's exactly what makes right. him special. Exactly right, mate. Whereas our boy Pangai, look, about every seven weeks you're getting you're getting that level of a game a and that's when he's erratic. on the field. <laughs> that's, when you believe, get some, mate. that's when you get some minnows to play and he can like bash up on some small halves out on the edge. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm not like in 10 years like those South fans who still believe in John Sutton. I do hope at one point <laughs> Pangai does hit some form of level people expect him to hit, but I don't, I don't want to be one of those guys. Okay. Anyway, let's get into it, mate. Let's let's talk about your your bit of a, your history, Liam, mate. So you've obviously if you haven't been there, uh, Broncos fans or other fans listening, Pythagoras.com, bit of a rugby league statistics and analytics website that Liam's been doing. What? How many years now, mate? Uh, I think I'm on my fourth season now. Your fourth season, and it's purely all done in your own spare time, pretty much. All all the number crunching, everything's all yours, and you know, not really. Um, you're not really doing it for anything, but you obviously love the statistics, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a sports Sudoku. Um, it's a bit like doing maths problem solving, which sounds really bizarre. But my background's engineering, so spreadsheets and doing that sort of stuff is kind of second nature to me. Um, yeah. So a lot of what I do is take stats and score lines, put them through a, a system, and spit out some fun facts and graphs out the other side. Yeah, right. And how do, you, how do you find yourself, like, getting motivated to do this every week? Because I know, like, for myself and Simo, podcasting's obviously a bit easier than doing, you know, data analysis on a weekly basis and updating databases and all that kind of stuff. When you haven't got the easy way of updating a database, you know, you haven't got the access that someone, you know, who'd worked for a club or similar would have. How do you keep yourself motivated, mate? Like, it's got to be hard. Um, the dopamine from Twitter likes and retweets is pretty... <laughs> um, and, and I joke about that, but that's probably, like, at least 50% true. Um, but I'm kind of just in the rhythm of doing it. I've got it down to a pretty efficient way of doing it now, so it doesn't suck up huge amounts of time. Um, but I have invested a lot of time in it. A lot of it, some of it's been while I've been bored work and haven't had anything particularly pressing to do. So it's just sort of filling in my day. In fact, that's how I got started. Um, but it has taken over a few weekends as well as I get stuck into a problem and I want to get to the answer more than I want to do anything else. Yeah, mate, I noticed you're doing the bloody Digicel Cup. And if people don't know what that is, that's the, the local competition up in Papua New Guinea. There's some goddamn dedication. Yeah, look, I this has not been a good year for me in the rugby league space because Broncos have been dog shit. Toronto Wolfpack are about to fold. Q-Cup's been cancelled. So I'm just sort of like trying to find something fun. And the Digicel Cup is absolutely that. So I've been posting links to the highlights. They do like a five, six-minute highlight package for four of the games every weekend. And if you just sit down and watch those for 20 minutes, you feel a lot better. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad it helps you. I love um, I've seen some of those games in the past, and I do love... And I don't know what they're like now. I haven't watched any this year, but I do love just how it sounds dumb, but how different it is to watching a, a standard rugby league game you consume, like park footy here or, you know, over in England, lower levels or whatever. Like the fact that it really is like just a fence set up on the sideline, play fans behind the fence, terrible facilities, awful grounds, but it's awesome. Hey. Yeah. They've, um, I think because of the coronavirus, they've been playing four games in Port Moresby, not at, um, football stadium, but at a different one. So yeah, and then there's two games in lay every weekend. Um, but I've been pretty surprised because I've never seen it before, really. And it's pretty surprisingly high level of football, considering it's you know what third division 
really. Um, yeah. But the, the talent on display is pretty impressive. But that could also be that I'm watching five-minute highlight packages, so I don't see the other <laughs> garbage in between. Mate, as you know, that's my favorite way to analyze reserve grade and, and a pusher biased is two three-minute highlights packages of players <laughs> selectively <laughs> showing their best. How's my boy uh, Adani Gebby going there? Where did he land? He landed at – he was at Lay, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, they're doing pretty well at the moment. They're looking like they're the leaders. I don't think I've seen him pop up in a game yet, though. Disappointing, yeah. Well, um, I'm, you know, I didn't think it'd work out for him in Sydney, but I'm still hoping there's something, like someone crazy enough in Brisbane or Gold Coast or the Cowboys to give him a run. Probably back in New Q Cup next year anyway, but I, I still believe I'll still be cutting those highlights. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's get into um, some of the, the things you've been doing recently then, mate. You've got some numbers with you that you'd like to, to get into about the, uh, well, the Broncos, I guess, and Seabolt's tenure. Do you want to take us through some of those? Yeah, so I, when Simo asked me on here, he said, um, you should come on after the Storm game because that'll probably be our lowest point. And I think he's right. <laughs> Starting at like a pretty low level, if you look at like the points points per game scored and conceded, so far Brisbane this year, uh, 12.9 points scored per game and 30.6 points conceded. Now, so it's like what difference of eighteen points a game. Mm-hmm. Probably by far the worst in Brisbane's history. It has to be. I can look at that now for a season, but if you don't know, I've I can get the answer. Got all the ladders for the NRL in front of me, the NRL era anyway, and the worst season for points scored is two thousand twenty. Second worst season is two thousand nineteen, and the third worst season is two thousand thirteen. I've got a um a semi-related question here from uh, is on Twitter from CTO or CTO obstruction. Um, he said, Liam, will the Broncos eclipse the sixteen Knights as statistically the worst team in the two thousands? Um, the Knights in sixteen scored minus twenty point six three points per game. Broncos are currently on minus seventeen point seven two, but it's minus twenty six point eight eight since the season resumed. Yeah, I think he's using the difference between points scored per game and points conceded per game. Yeah. Ah, so, uh, yep, yep. So 2016 Knights, they scored 12.7 points per game. So far, the Broncos are scoring 12.9. So that's not God. a favourable <laughs> comparison. And then they, the defence has been a bit better. So the Broncos are conceding 30.6, but the, the Knights in 2016, they gave up 33.3 points a game. Yeah, Whereas it's not the 12. It sounds points, a little better, you say. Not much better. No, the 12.9 points per game is like two or three, probably like the bottom five attacks in the NRL era. Whereas 30.6 points conceded per game is like 10 or 20 worst defences in the NRL era. I mean, when you can set a bar that you want your club to climb over, 2016 Knights is the side I look for. Just <laughs> it's the minimum. Yeah, there it is. No, I'm looking at it now. As you said, that average margin of defeat, like the oh, sorry, the average margin in general, the 17.7 negative points for and against, whatever. That's by far the club's worst in the season. Like we've only had a couple. We've only had a few years of negative for and against after all in our history. We're pretty lucky in that. That uh, it's not great, but you, I haven't for some reason I haven't sat down and just looked at the points scored average of the last like the year now. 
and yeah, twelve and what twelve point nine is embarrassing. And since the restart, ten point two. And it's not surprising when you think about how many shutouts there have been. Like, yeah, teams have no trouble. Just they they dominate the possession, they dominate the field, and then Broncos are never down the other end to even attempt scoring points frequently enough to actually score points. It just feels if you took a shot at field goal every time you're within the opposition thirty, you'd probably be better than twelve points per game. Yeah, but have you seen them try to set up for a field goal? It just <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's it's yeah. yeah, it's I mean I saw Cameron Smith tell Brady Croft where to stand on a field goal set once, but that was <laughs> that was entertaining. Yeah, well we're actually and we I know the ninety nine nine season for the Broncos and we did bounce back and make the finals and win a lot of games. That has been I thought almost an unassailable worst start for Broncos history. You know, two wins, a draw, and what is it, eight losses in the first 11 games. But if we lose this week, we, we are finally eclipsed that as the worst, official worst start-wise in terms of wins and losses, finally, where we deserve to be. Oh, Wayne Bennett's still winning. Yeah. But, I mean, that. so that week after that, we play the Sharks this week this year. Back then in 99... In round 11, they beat Balmain 12-10, and then there was a bye. But round 13 for their 12th game of the year, they got to play that Magpie side. So, uh, yeah, it was 50 nil. So they really turned that season around. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we get that option this year. No, we already played the Bulldogs. They're not that much worse than us. So We are like 2020's Magpie side. Yeah, oh, it's it's not great. Like, I mean, I know we have injuries and all that bloody excuse, but, like, I look at the Roosters team this week. And that's got nearly as many injuries as us. And you just know they're going to win or at least show up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did see like through 36 games in charge. I know that's a random number. But that's what Seabold's sitting at. Through 36 games in charge, he's the only Broncos coach to have a, a, a negative win-loss record. So even Henjack had a winning record through 36 games. So good. Mm. I was looking at... Um... Runs of games, so not just the start, but any run of games and the, the sort of accumulated points difference over that running game. So, like over the last five games, Broncos negative uh, 38 points difference. Over the last six, they're minus 117. Over the last seven, it's 119. Um, keeps getting worse. Don't go through them all. But I was looking at how they stacked up against other runs across entire era going back to 1988. And I think nine-game run ending round 11 is minus 206 points. So that's basically since the restart. I think that ended up being that's the 50th worst run of nine games since 1988 for any team. There are I didn't count them, but there's about seven or 8,000 examples compared against. So it's in like the worst half a percent of performances over that sort of nine-game span. Beautiful. Superb. Yep. Love this team. <laughs> oh, God. That that's that fills us mean to so both with joy, huh, mate? Like... I, yeah. Look, I was surprised. I was Actually, I wasn't that surprised it was that bad. But yeah. that's because I'm very pessimistic. And I'm not sure. Same, mate. Everybody else understands quite how bad it is. Yeah, this, at least this year, mate, matches the the last year we were flattered by the results for me end of the year making the finals. This year we we match 
or you know, uh, we match how poor we are. But you're right though. Every week it seems everyone is still surprised by how bad the Broncos is. Like it's been so many games now. Why are you shocked by this? Yeah, we're actually performing so badly that three wins out of eleven is like good. That's that's a good result for how badly they've been playing. Yeah, I feel. I feel we played a lot better in the first two games than we have since the regime. I don't know why there's such a discrepancy in the performances, but I feel if we played Cowboys and Roost and Rabbitohs now, sorry, we don't win either of those games. No, we don't. So, like, yeah, and that, yeah you, you get have to, you have three wins, but I just don't feel that they're like I don't. Yeah, it just doesn't really add up as proper numbers to me at this point. Yeah, I do feel like um, if we got the Bulldogs after they sacked Dean Pay, they also would probably do us. So we got that that luckily lined up for us to jag that win. We are we are true wooden spoon contenders at this point, aren't we? It's like surely. Um, yeah, we're only one win clear of the Bulldogs, and we're a million points for and against behind anybody. Yeah, and I did the forecast last night. If I can find it. Yeah. But this is our worst ever for and against, and it's round 11. We've never been this low. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, it was our worst ever. And like we looked at the, the coming up games too. Like That for and against is not getting better. No, no, it's not. So the Broncos, I've got the Broncos as a 15% chance of making the spoon. And Canterbury, 37. It's changed quite a bit from last week. 15% is a fair whack at the spoon. Well, considering it should be zero. Yes, it should be. Like, there's no excuse, though, with this squad to ever be that close to the spoon. I know there's injuries, but there's still no reason for it to be that poor. No. no. So we've got, what, Bulldogs minus 120. We're minus 195 for and against. So basically there's one game in it. That's right, yeah. Would you, like... See, this is the thing. I... I would rather avoid the spoon, even if that meant there was like still a sliver of chance that Seabold was around next year. Like once you get a spoon, like we're the club that's never won the spoon. Once you get the spoon, that's there forever. I would rather avoid the spoon and come 15th, even if there's still like a 5% chance Seabold's around next year. You feel like you've gone through this weird thing where you cared about results and then they sucked. So you stopped caring about results, but now they've sucked too much. So you've got to start caring again in case they do end up getting the spoon. Yeah, and I think when we get Fafita back, I think we'll jag a win or two somewhere. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm with you on that. We get another couple of wins, but I'm, yeah. I don't know where they come from. Well, I'm with you guys. You on that? Like, I was like, at one point, I was wanting us to lose because I wanted the the some, you know Seabold to you know move on. But like as you said, they hit the point. You're like, okay, boys, that might be enough losing. Yeah, like just calm down, boys. Reel in that losing, and we'll, we'll come back in a couple of weeks. Couple of wins, pick them up. But um, th- this week I have, you know, I know the Sharks. They've hit some. I have absolutely zero faith. Like, you know, David Fafita was supposed to be back, and he's not. But seeing that lineup, I'm like, Brody Croft is out. I should be cheering in the streets. But like Darius Boyd's back at fullback. We know Milford's underdone, who may or may not play five eight. And then you've still got Joe on an edge. It's just, it's just all over this thing. It's just like this lineup. I have no faith at all that the Sharks don't put 40 on us again. Yeah. How are we back here with Darius at fullback again? <laughs> like it's 2019 all over again. Yeah, I just I saw that today and I was just like, that's just so depressing, that thought. 
It is, mate. And it is. And it's like the last year they did the thing. I don't want Milford at fullback either, but now it's like even reversing the whole thing. Like Milford playing fullback while Darius played 5-8 last year was a thing as well. God, there's been so many bad things. At least like Turpin's back. I guess that's news. Turpin's back. Eden's in instead of Croft. So those are two good things. Yes. There should be net gains. My, my my concern again is what happens when Croft comes back from injury, shoulder injury. Apparently, we just I just know we know he's getting back in that team. So it's like, where does he go? Does we have if well Boyd goes back to center, and Milford back to fullback again? Yeah, I know. We could probably do some more like disruptive rotations than that one. Just really. Thank God, a seven. Oh well, I mean, he the six. Okay, this is the halves. We need Pengai and Fafita in the halves, six and seven. Payne Haas can play fullback in five eight. Just sit everyone I don't like. Yeah. And I know I know Lane, you you're looking at some working on some player value things. Have you got anything on what on, you know, maybe a statistical number value for Fafita if I put you on the spot too quickly for that one? No, because I was looking at that today anyway. Um so, for those who don't know, I've got a player rating system. It kind of works a bit like wins above replacement in baseball. So, in that, you're looking at replacement level in baseball is basically the equivalent of reserve grade. So, you're looking at how much better is a given player than the bare basic minimum player you could get in that position. Based on what Peter's been doing, he's averaged like a 125 rating which, and I won't go into like the whole convoluted mathematics of it. You can read about that on my site if you really interest you or just at me on Twitter and I'll explain it. But I had him at, um, based on what he's done, he's at like 650K, but he's probably more a 140 rating player, so he'd be about 760. So I think all things being fair in the world, you'd be paying him about $700,000, $800,000 a year. Yeah. But yeah. the difference is that that's just on like what he's doing on the field. I think for a team like the Gold Coast, for them it's worth paying 50% more than that um, because he's going to win them games and sell them jerseys and sell them tickets and sell them memberships. It's, yes. it's not just what happens on the field that the player's value brings. I, I really don't mind that deal from the Titans, eh? Like obviously everyone's had their piece on it, but... Look at what the Knights did, and they paid a decent amount for what Kalen Ponger had done at that point. And they, you know, they got in some other players for probably overs, but then other other people want to join the club, and then you get Adam O'Brien, and the club has been building nicely now for a couple of years. And I, I really think Fafita can be that piece for them. Like people have said, you know, oh, for that price, you could have got three like average solid first graders, and it's like, well, you probably would have had to pay overs for those three. But now if you have Fafita and then you could probably get those as well like later on and you probably don't have to pay as much for those three and then you're slowly building a solid side. And yeah, I think I think it's actually a pretty good deal for them. 200%, yeah. mate. What you said there about the average players, oh, you could get three average first graders for whatever, 1.42 million. Sorry, 1.25 million. When does it ever work for the Titans? I've been doing that for a decade, and they keep overpaying average players. It's not worked. At least in this instance, they overplayed a really good player, like a really one of the best, most talented young players in the game. They overpaid one of them. They didn't go overpay a Tyrone Peachy or a Shannon Boyd 
or any of the number of other players I've ever paid, they actually went and got a stud. Like that has to count for something, right? Yeah, I think that investment pays for itself. And I know that's very, it's the same logic they use to justify signing Jared Hayne. But if they get an extra 2,000 people through the gate because David Fafita's playing there and he's made them a better team, who cares if they, they won't care if they've paid an extra $250,000 a year on his salary compared to what the Broncos would have offered him. I think another thing that works for them too is like a bunch of his mates, uh, well, are there or will mm-hmm. end up there. Um, old mate that whose name I can't pronounce from the Melbourne Storm, um, yeah. Tana Boyd's there. That like I said this in group chat the other day, but we like two years back we were all lo- like loving the idea of Tana Boyd and Fafita playing in the Broncos and that connection that we'd seen in you know um, junior Kangaroos games and stuff. And I remember was that in 2017? I think Doyle, when we watched it at your place, said junior Kangaroos versus Kiwis game, and Fafita scored like 83 tries outside Tana Boyd. Yeah, and I was just—we were all loving the idea of that for the Broncos, and it was like, well, now you know, good on the Titans—they've got both those players, and yeah, hopefully it works for them. I don't hope it works for them. I hope it goes terribly. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I—I st- I want Fafita to do well. I want to enjoy watching him. So that's just me, though. I got to a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, it's going so badly for these guys, and I'm not hugely sentimental about players in general, but it was going so badly for them that almost all of them would be better off going to literally any other club because they're just being held back by the situation they're in now. Um, the only club I didn't want them to go to was the Titans because I didn't think it would further anyone's career. Disappointing hmm. that Fafita's gone that way. At least he's got a chance to sort of spread his wings a bit. Yeah, 100%, mate. And I, and I, I think with your, with your value metric, I'm not trying to take a shot at you for, for this either, but it's just like there's no way to quantify changing a match still or, you know, game-breaking no, play. Right. It's like the line break from, from Dave Fafita that won us the game against the Cowboys essentially was worth more than many other line breaks that have occurred for us because just the, the nature of it was and no one else could ins- no one else in position can do what he did there. And there still isn't like a, a way to measure that effectively. No, that's right. So I, I always catch a lot of the stuff that I do with a lot of caveats about we're not measuring effectiveness, we're not measuring a lot of intangibles, we're just looking at pretty basic counting stats. And, yeah, it does an okay job, but it doesn't tell the whole story. That's it, man. I love that you said that too because obviously oh, when I'm working in, in sports data myself, I have this argument people sometimes who either think stats mean too much or mean think they mean nothing. It's like, no, like – all sets are doing is telling you what happened. And when you're measuring players, when you're measuring, you know, these 15 stats against each other, you are measuring performance in those 15 stats, you know, not measuring every single bit of performance ever. And you're not even trying to claim you're doing that, but people take those things way too far. Like small things. Like I see someone tell me, you know, Andrew Feeder is still good because his tackle efficiency is really high now. It's like, what does that, you don't even know what that even means, but you're trying to use it as an argument. And like, you know, at least I like, you have the understanding like, yeah, like, the stats mean what they are. They don't mean more than anything what, what they appear to be, you know? No, you can do some fun stuff with it and you can find mm-hmm. stuff that you wouldn't otherwise realise with stats. But if you think that you can put a rugby league match through a spreadsheet and get 100% truth out the other side, then you're just kidding yourself. Like my rating yeah. system rates Aaron Woods and I don't personally rate Aaron Woods. That's just what how the numbers fall. Um, I think you need to take that into account when you look at these things. That's it, man. And I know sport, sports idol will get there. Like the more the more GPS gets integrated with um with rugby league, and we get to do more data science modeling around like player positioning, 
once that becomes more available and, and plays actual speed and their speed of response to, to reading plays and similar, we're talking 20 years down the track, maybe more, then you can get more and more of an idea that right on paper, we might be able to have numbers to represent players' full effectiveness. We haven't got that now, but what they are really good at doing is like, it's a really easy way to put 400 players on a piece of paper, find a way to grade them on a certain thing and compare them to each other. And, no, let's be honest. Outside of the you know five or six people who have this time, and unfortunately, I'm one of them. No, how many people are watching all final people play every week? It's the easiest way to run a measure across that many people and compare them, other than the bloody eye test. Yeah, that's right. I got an email from a um, a player agent a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, "Oh, see, you do a lot of stat stuff. I do a lot of junior watching junior level stuff online. Um, do you think there's much of a future for that?" And I was like, "Yeah." make it more efficient in the sense that you would be able to identify who's doing the work, doing work on good teams more quickly and focus your attention on them. And then by the time you've actually got that sample size to make any judgments, those games, you probably would have spotted them anyway. That's it, mate. Like, I mean, you can use, you can run the same equation for all the grades and similar, but it's, it won't, nothing currently in rugby league will tell you who to recruit, but it can at least usually tell you who to look at. You know, you can tell, like, you're looking for a player like X who's got a statistical profile like X. Let's go find that out. You can do that at least. But as you said, at junior level for a lot of the time, like, it's actually pretty hard to miss the standouts if you watch enough games. Yeah. There was, um, Tony Collins did a podcast with an analytics guy from, who's done, worked in, League and Union in the UK. It's interesting because he said, done a lot of the work to figure out efficiencies and strategy and who's doing what. The next level of analytics is going to be assessing that decision-making and who's making good decisions, who's who's athletically gifted, who's not, and then finding players that are either both or finding things that you can work on them with. Yeah, that's it. Like I, I did see something last year, and it was, and it was done at the NRL's data jam, and there was there was one team that did develop a model that paired the GPS data with the performance data together, and they had a really really base level of it. But they did this thing that I hadn't seen before because I've I've been working with NRL data for a long enough time now that most things that are done with players' statistics, I've seen them. But like this, he done he done this model of essentially he could drag and drop players off the field. And he and he come up with like the maximum distance every player could cover at a certain time or fatigue level from you know a certain position on the field. Yeah. So he's actually showing some stuff like he was dragging, dropping Tedesco into plays and showing like how he can get to a ball that no other fullback can because it because of other methods. And it's like you know we all can see that stuff. We could all see it with Billy Slater, but it was cool seeing a measure that the guy was like, okay, Billy Slater did this. Now let's drag and put this other fullback in the in the same play and run a simulation and see how close he got to doing what Billy did. And, you know, when he did with Tedesco, no one but Tommy Turbo could have got close to any of the things Tedesco was doing, essentially. They couldn't cover the, the same amount of field at the same speed at the same time of games. Just yeah, that simple, but cool. it was cool seeing that. Yeah. That's, that's okay. a good way to show people who aren't analytics-based. It's a really good mm. way to show the value that player A has over player B because you've used like Tedesco and Slater is like the most obvious examples, but your decision-making's not pure in recruitment. You don't often get a chance to have a crack at a Tedesco or a Trebojevic. You're choosing between like, I don't know, um, Cezinui and Jermaine Azarco. Yeah. That's a much finer 
um, level of detail required and attention paid to figure out who's going to benefit you the most. That's it, mate. And small things like if you have the, the GPS data lower levels, you can merge in and find it. You might be able to find out, oh, Tessie Nui, or New, sorry, is always hanging behind the ruck. And, you know, when that data exists, you can do that without having to watch 100 games to figure it out if you have that. Or you can figure out that, you know, maybe a Sarko gets, seems to react to kicks earlier because we have the measures. But the, currently that stuff's really, really far away from being developed and usable for everybody. Like that took a, one, a massive data science team to, to run 29 games, I think, they did for that Tedesco thing. But uh, it's a long way away. But that's the kind of stuff I'm looking forward to in rugby league data space because I'm not even trying to dish your site. I love the work you've done because it's much better than me seeing like just someone's done like a lot of people like to make metrics that are just like another fantasy score. Mm. You know, this is worth eight points, Sathworth's three, whatever. Here's their average. Those things, I've seen enough of those. I'm sick of them. But at least yours have some actual math behind them. So like they can at least wow me with math. So, you know, I respect rough, this metric. But look impressive. That's it, mate. So I can at least be wowed by that rather than just saying, oh, this guy, uh, you know, Tedesco is 140 average of what? <laughs> like you did say that something earlier, but if you go on your website, all the working is there. Yeah. You get to that value. Because I would really like to be in a situation where it's not just I'm going to do my own thing and there's a couple of other guys doing their own thing in the amateur sphere. It'd be good for the, like if there was another generation coming through who are not looking at the outputs, they're looking at how you got there and then critique it, make it better. That's why I, yeah. I find it, it's important to put that out there so that people can at least get where you've come from and decide for themselves whether or not they think that's worthwhile listening to you. Yeah. I think there's a bit of an issue with the the guys that do do the rugby league analytics currently. Is like, I think a lot of people are cut from similar cloth because the dedication you need to be able to do it right now. So I do think, I'm not saying it's group think, but I think a lot of us, like I don't even do the, the public work you guys do, but when I read like yourself or clearly obstruction or similar, we have the same opinion anyway. Yeah. And I would like to see some different people attacking us. Well, yes. <laughs> because we're right, obviously. But yeah. Okay. Anyway, Simo, you got anything you want to ask Liam before we actually crack into some questions? Um, no, I don't I don't think so. I think I'm good. I've just been breathing it all in. Um right. Well, we'll start on Facebook, as always. Um Jai asks us, uh, what do you lads see as being a real achievable goal for the Broncos? How many years to turn this around? And what are realistic sightings we need to get there? The coach going is a given. Um, he, and he says, I'm saying it's another full year away. And we, um, But he said he only probably feels he needs a real half and a staff fullback. I trust the young guys coming through. All yours, Liam. I've answered this question too many times. <laughs> um. I think it's a year or two, provided that we are ditching the deadwood as fast as possible. So Darius Boyd's gone. Seabolt's probably gone. Paul White's going. I hope he's not hanging around any longer. It's like one or two maybe backroom staffs, but if you get a get a new coach in, he'll bring his own people. So that should flush out some of the turds, for want of a better word. Um the squad on paper is fine. They're just not set up to succeed in any meaningful way. Yeah, I've had this discussion a few times with people and I really don't think this squad is that far away from that terrible still. Um, obviously, you want some more leaders or whatever, but I think if you had a coach come in, knew what he was doing, and like, well, this is something I've always said and I, like, I think it makes sense is 
well, at this point, I feel Seabold is getting worse than the pl- the average out of every player in the side. And if you had a new coach came in that either got the average, say Paul Green came in and was getting like the average out of every player or slightly above that, one person is improving 30 players in the squad, which like I feel if you had that come in, you'd be, we'd straight away be like towards the top six team. Um, and then obviously, I don't even think we need a fullback. I still want to see a Sarko play with a competent coach that knows what he's doing. So I, a real seven is kind of all I really feel we need at this point. Yeah, and I think we've probably even got that if you've got mechanisms in the, in the organisation to actually develop talent properly. So Eden looks pretty good, certainly better than Brody Croft. Like, mm, yeah. you'll probably be there. But at the moment, the team is not even. It seems not even bad. They're just not even trying, and they're lost. And you can see that. And you guys have covered it a million times. So until you fix that problem, that talking about signings is really irrelevant. That's it, mate. And I think we did touch on a bit there, something again that not data is hard to cover. It's like resilience and leadership is still something we can't really get to. But this team is like, they lack so much resilience on that field. And it's so obvious, like anytime we can see one or two tries when they stand underneath that goalpost, there's only one team the commentators always look to zoom in on when they're behind the post because it's only one team when they're down by like 12 nil. they look like they're down by 60 and that's our team. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Righto, uh, from Johnny then. He says, do you think the club should renegotiate Milford and Bird's contracts if they stay next year for a lower price? It would be stupid to pay them the same considering one is injured and the other is playing terrible. Uh, I don't think there's a legal mechanism to do that. Force the force. The only real way you would get that like to renegotiate is if you extend them at the same time, which no one I think would be super stoked about that. Um. In, otherwise, you just get they're going to be like, why would you? Re, why would they renegotiate for lower pay? Like you know, you just cash a check and be done and move on. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, it's I, great, but like, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I um, I'm happy for Bird to leave. I don't care if we pay every last cent of it. But um, uh, Milford, I'm still going down with that ship. I know everyone wants him gone, and it, it's going to kill me, man, when he leaves. I know he's been garbage for two years now. I don't care. It's still going to kill me when he goes just because, like, he is, a, he is a la- the largest cock tease. You still see the talent every week or two. You still see the great kicks every now and then. We did see, you know, again, a game-breaking try just this season against South. You still see those glimpses, and I'm still holding on to them because I'm an idiot, and I, I liked him so much a couple of years ago that it's been hard for me to let go. I don't, I, look, the Broncos have had exactly two highlights this year. One was Fafita's try against the Cowboys and one was Milford's try against Rabideau. So he's responsible for the stuff that this team has done. But I don't think it's insane to hang on to that. What I thought was um, interesting was Chris Gary throwing out there that the Broncos would have to pay $600,000 of his million-dollar contract to get any other club to show any interest. That, to me, is insane. Milford on four hundred grand is a bargain. It is. I feel like... Um... Demand and desperation will drive that interest up. If he's legitimately available, I think teams will probably take a bit more of that. Like as we as we all know, mate, there's av- like Brody Croft makes more than that, and nobody wanted him but us last year. Yeah, more than four hundred k. I seriously, I think if he was out there in that kind of situation, I think teams would pay six to seven hundred. Like there are some average players on six to seven hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, absolutely. But I think. Um, yeah, so- um, and I, I think there's also definitely some coaches that feel like if they were had him for say six fifty, that they could get 
like if you get a player that you can turn turn around and get kind of eighty percent of what twenty sixteen Milford was, you, you like for six hundred k, you're laughing. Yeah, that's right. And even we could get that if we set up our organisation so that he had the tools he needed to succeed, which is hundred percent down the field. Players who know what they're doing and then just space to work. Yeah, I, I honestly think if we had a coach that was playing to his strengths and had, you know, we had a decent seven that could help take pressure off him. Obviously, like that's what you, he needs. No one, no one loves hearing that when he's been paid as much as he is. But I, I think we could get back to kind of what he was in fifteen sixteen. Not the the start of that sixteen season was ridiculous. Like I remember when we were podcasting on it and we were basically saying he was robbed every week that he didn't get three Dally M points and have it wrapped up by round nine. <laughs> um, and you know I don't think he'll ever see that again but I could definitely see 80% of that 85% of that yeah for yeah, sure and I, and I do think when you mentioned as well about setting him up for success I think sometimes we boil it a bit too much down to just having a Haas partner and I know it did help with Dearden this week but it's like having competent players around him in a competent system makes a huge difference like there's not a, it's no coincidence that so often this year when Milford's got the ball he's dancing a point and ran in circles Everyone blames him for that, but it's like because absolutely nothing is happening when he receives the ball. What else is he supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've well, like we've seen this side just doesn't seem to like support play. No one is watch, running support play, and that also came from Darius Boyd a lot at fullback when he wasn't doing that. And so then, yeah, like when when Milford's running the ball, nothing's happening. Um, righto, moving on from Thomas. Looking forward to seeing Milford and Dearden together again. They were good together last year. Um, from Vince. Hey guys, why the hell didn't we go hard for Luke Keary? And can we just be done with Seabold? Can't wait to see the end of White's tenure. Yeah, they probably should have to. I don't know if they've got space for what's, what did he sign with the Roosters for? 800 or 900 or something. Yeah. Well, maybe in two or three years' time we can afford that, but I don't think that's on the cards now. I think they're um they were so focused in on trying to keep a feeder, mate. Like they've been stressed with. I don't think they even thought about Kiri. I um, I don't know. I think the more people talk, the more I seem to be on an island of this. But I I don't want Kiri. Like he's one head knock away from just retiring. (laughs) That is true. Like I just, I also don't know if I've if me personally have seen it to be the level of what everybody else thinks he he is. Maybe it's just me being wrong, which is more than likely, but I just, I'm not a fan. I don't want him. Like, I don't want him for the money he would command. Don't want him for 800 grand, but you'll take him for cross salary. Oh, like, yeah, if, oh, I'd take anyone else for cross salary. Like, <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's a nothing, but I just, I don't think I'd want him for close to a million. I'd, I'd take him 800k because it's hard to get a, a good player like that 800k to move clubs, but he ain't taking 800 to leave the Roosters. It's over a million you got to pay when you get out, get him out of there, and I don't want to pay him that either, mate. As you said, uh, mm. I do see it with him, but I, I just still refuse to believe it is solely him, just because of how good that team is all round. And I, and I just feel like you know, what is he? He's 29 next year. I know players are playing older than ever. It's just like I don't. I feel like one of those things. If he signed for this Broncos team. Feels like he'd come there at thirty, and it just wouldn't work out. I mean, he's saying he's a system half. Oh God, I don't want to say that, but I just um, <laughs> he's not like a you know when we back in the day when we had not back in the day, God, not long ago, Cronk, Thurston, Scott Prince level, not that type of player to me. You get me? 
But as you say, like, yeah, why would he leave that side when he's getting paid heaps and it's a coin flip every year if you win the premiership or not? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, from Nick, should they play Fafita when he's back and healthy, knowing he's gone next season? Yes. Yep. Yes, I hate that question. We've only not done that to Hodges and it was so long ago. And it's because he also, like, said he was staying. Yeah, Hodges, I mean, I've been over this, you've been over this. Hodges was a very different situation to everybody else that leaves. Uh, Daniel, lots of talk around Smith next year. Should we give him 12 months? And is he the man to rebuild the culture of the Broncos after he hangs up the boots? Sure. Lame thoughts. Thought short. <laughs> Why not? I, I've said this before, but I would give him a go at coach. Um, but <laughs> I also would give probably the homeless man under the new bridge in on the Fitzroy a go at coach <laughs> over Seabold. So, you know, don't, don't listen to me. Um, um, to I'd love coach. to give Ken Smith. Yeah, get, I'd get I'd sign Cam if those were the thi- the conditions that he'd stay at the club after it. But I yeah, like he gave that. him like a four year deal and it was one as a player and three as a coach or something. Um, Nick again, he said, "Is Gordon Tallis the biggest f wit ever? Going out of his way to bring down the club that made him who he is." That's a pretty big claim in rugby league. So I don't think so. I think him ragdolling. Was it Hodgson in Origin back in 2000? Yeah, 2002. The club 2002. did that, mate. Yeah, that, that, that makes him a hero forever in my eyes. I don't care what he says. Shattered his confidence forever. People anyway, so. Yeah, I, I, I hate that. I hate that with, with sports and mentality. The club who made him. It's like, mate, he didn't. He wasn't a Broncos junior. He sat a year out to come up and play. And yes, like he had a great career with us, but we didn't make shit with Gordon Tallis. He, he was, was already pretty good when he got here. Yeah, he made himself. Okay, like Gordy was a fiery man who made himself. It's very different. And by the, I want to mention, by the way, when we weren't playing Hodgson, sorry, Hodges, our back line still had Lockyer, Lottie Takiri, young Chris Walker, Michael DeVere, and Wendell Saylor in it. Well, if you don't play for feeder, we are playing who? The broken Corey Oates. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we move on, I agree with Nick that screw Gordon Dallas. So. Oh, <laughs> I'm on that part. I, mate, when he tries to – I love how he like um, – he, he starts to act like he was influential in the, the Fafita move. Actually, it was my phone combo that did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, here we go. Lance also asked, who is the biggest flog in the game and why is it Gordon Tallis? Uh, from Jaden. Oh, this is a shot at Mitch here. What are Pythago NRL's <laughs> round 12 tips? <laughs> um, brutal at me. Let me have a look. Because I haven't posted them yet, but I will later tonight. We got dragons, bunnies. I would lean the bunnies. Tigers versus warriors. It's going to be tigers. Ducks over broncos. Roosters over titans. Raiders over cowboys. Panthers over manly. Eels over Canterbury. Melbourne over Newcastle. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably pretty similar to all of those. I might go dragons. I, like, I think I've got lucky. Mm, with my yeah, it's not a bad cut. I think I've got lucky with my tips that in the games they've been the last few weeks, but I think they've just been playing a little bit better recently. Um, I mean, I got super lucky tipping Sharps last week. They got absolutely dudded on that video ref call, but, you know, whatever. Not my team. Don't care. <laughs> um, Lockie, who should we go after with the extra cap space from Fafita leaving? Is that cap space? Is that cap space actually still available? Are they going to piss it away on fringe forwards? Yes. Is first question. Probably. Let's upgrade Tom Flegler before his new contract. <laughs> oh, well, Front then who gives a fuck? It's Tom Flegler. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't really care about signings at this point. Get to sort the coach out first. Uh, yeah, there's from, a lot of foundational work to do first. Yeah, from Arun. How hard would it be to get Bellamy? Would you sign for the Brisbane Broncos if you were in his position? I wouldn't. But see, think of this, though. Like, end of an era at the Storm. Cam Smith's gone. You got, like, not not a rebuild, but a reload at, at the Storm. You've got to sort out some good players again. Probably move Cam Munster on. He's pretty rubbish. Um, like, I always think, people say this in the NFL, who'd want to coach the Browns? But in the end, like, imagine if you could be the guy to go to Cleveland and make that side great and win a Super Bowl. Like, it's not at this level because we've not been that bad for, like, 38 years straight. But if he could come in, turn the club around, back to a grand final win, like, first club, first team time since 2006, like, that's something. Yeah, I think these questions always involve like a bit of psychological projection in the sense that I don't really enjoy my job. So me thinking about having to work longer than I have to, <laughs> and I just assume Craig Bellamy is the same. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. <laughs> but but something he's going to want to stop. I also don't know. I think the Broncos' job to turn it around to get to a grand final seems harder than it is. Like I said before, that I think this squad's better than it has been playing. I think I don't think it takes all that much hard work to turn this around and be back to a premiership contender with the right person coaching. You know how easy it would be for Craig Bellamy to sign players at the Broncos? Yeah. They would walk into the club. But I think um, what you said there, Liam, leaving a comfortable environment where he's, he's succeeding at, I think Bellamy didn't suffer the same thing Bennett did is that because he's down in Melbourne, no one has ever questioned his greatness despite staying with the same team for like 20 years. Bennett got to that point that like everyone was questioning his greatness. It was almost itchy feet when he left and whatever, he went down to Sydney. But like he had a point to prove. For some reason, no one's made a point to prove for, for Craig Bellamy. So essentially, I'm blaming the media for us not getting him is what I'm saying. <laughs> There's not enough pressure on him to prove himself a thousand times instead of merely 999 times. That's it, mate. And I, and I do enjoy, though, by the way, like this Cam Smith to the Broncos staff is obviously a complete bullshit because, again, he's managed by Isaac Moses, who loves knows what he's doing. He's putting pressure on the storm. What a shock. Mm. <laughs> like, he's not coming to the Broncos next year. Cam is not having a swan song at, at the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, the only time I half, well, more wanted to believe it, there was a few years ago where he, he was up at the end of his contract and Wayne was here and it was considered, but... That was the only uh, – any other time it's come up, I've never really thought it was ever going to happen. Like, it's just – yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's always just going to be talked about and not happen. Well, that last one, I, I was shocked when it came out afterwards that he had actually – he had agreed to come up. But then um, was his missus made him stay down there or something, wasn't it? I can't remember the exact story, but I, I, when it came out when he said he had actually agreed to come up, I was shocked. I'm so used to the Kansas City, the Broncos stories being just absolute bullshit. I didn't believe it. Uh, from Thomas, thoughts on Darius at fullback? Not good. Um, right, oh, cool. Jamie, rip, <laughs> uh, rip on Kempy again. <laughs> uh, when's I, I don't think we've been that harsh on Dan and Kemp on this podcast. I mean, I have on Twitter, but... I get told often, like, oh, you said something mean about Dan and Kemp. It's like, I don't even remember that, okay? I say mean things about a lot of people on the two platforms I'm on. Kemp did the way sometimes. I don't remember what you're talking about. Yeah, but see, then there's this one here too, a question from Cameron. He said, um, F, Mary kill, Kempy, Clarky, and Siebes. 
It's a matter as well of trash human beings right there. Uh, <laughs> I think Kemby's the marry, by the way. That's uh, all I'm saying. I mean, some, you you got to start at one end of this, right? And for me, it's kill Clarky. Like, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I, I don't care what Seebs and I don't care what Kemby is like. Clarky's Clarky's gone. That's that's it. That's done. And then I want to spend as little time as possible around Seebs. No, actually, I'm going to go the other way. I want to spend as little time around Kempe because I think Seebs would just like trail off talking to himself, thinking you're listening for like three hours straight about random football stuff. No, he's at work at 5 a.m. You'll never see him. Seebs is in there at 5. And then he'd be home at 8 and he'd, he'd think he's talking to me for three hours, but I'm just sitting on the couch actually just on my phone on Twitter and like... Then you just got to go, yep, yep, oh, that's great, yep, no worries, yep, like every now and then, and he'll think you're paying attention to him. So that's where I'm going there. Me and Kempe can trade terrible Eminem takes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but bro, no, how, how good is Eminem? Yeah, sick, bro, yeah, tops. Uh, righto. Um, anything, Liam, there? No? I think I'm killing myself in that, in that right particular measure. Oh, okay. Righto. Uh, Let's move over then on to Twitter. From... These are a test pit, these Twitter questions. Yeah, yeah I'm going to skip half of these, but we'll see what comes up. Eddie and Zed, please list the metrics by which our current home and away jerseys suck. <laughs> and that's all of them. Um, all yeah. of the metrics or all of the jerseys? Well, both. Well, they're really ugly. They're like a zero on the ugly scale, I guess. So we're a zero on the beauty scale. I don't know, I'm making these up on the fly. They're... They're offensively average, but they're offensive as a Broncos jersey. Do we still have that grey one? Because I really dislike that one. Oh, that was a couple of years ago, the grey one with the... Um, oh, it was last yellow. I'm not sure if we still have it. No, uh, with the, uh, the, what is it, yellow and maroon on the sleeves? Yeah, I can't remember. Years ago, but uh, no, we don't have that anymore. Righto, Butsy Triple Eight. How do the stats... Tamalolo and Haas, et cetera, compare with those of the early 90s when the boys were allowed to play? Um, I don't know because I don't have those stats when the boys were allowed to play. As, so as... I've looked at plenty of them. They don't Stats for the early 90s don't exist. Like no one kept those stats. But 99 is like when they started keeping stats and on various levels. But stats now are way, way, way better than they were 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. Because like back then, no one was looking at them. So no one was measuring players on, you know, if you made 150 metres a game or similar or not. Like, So Wendell Saylor, for a couple of years, he was making near 200 metres a game and then nobody else was getting even near him. And that was pretty much it. Like some of those forwards, some of the best forwards you think, oh, there's one of the best forwards of all time or similar. You go look back and they're making like 70 metres a, a game because they just weren't measured like that then. On, on what you say, like for Wendell there, do you think then sometimes the gap closes because there's like a, essentially a pace car out in front that people are chasing. Yeah, it's like, well, the guys, well, they all measure it now, mate. That's a big difference, I guess. Every player is, you know, they every week they look at their numbers and what they did, and and that's one way that clubs measure players. But um, Wendell, we all know he kind of created a role, well, part of creating a role being that, that yardage winger. And I guess that's why being one of the first of those so far ahead of the rest of them and people were chasing that. And I, I can't remember when. I did look at this a year or two ago. But I think it took to like the mid two thousand ten era for a winger to finally start averaging more than Wendell in their in their career in terms of run meters, and that was because when he came back, he started dropping his run meters average when he when he came back to the Dragons. It's insane. 
Uh, righto, from NRL Big, your mate. Let's say we put Gus into the bunker as lead official for eight games a week. Is there any <laughs> downside to this idea? Yes, because then we still have to listen to Gus. And he'd probably screw the Broncos and ensure that we get the spin, which I don't really want. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty cool with it because I'm still listening to way less Gus and then he can't blame the officials when he is the official. I'm kind of cool with it. I'm kind of on board. Let no, he'll find a way to make it about him, but not his fault. As yeah, he it's the on-field people's fault. It was a bad referral. Oh, I just couldn't see because of the technology. Technology's no good. I want him to be like lead referee on the field for a double header, and he'd probably just die halfway through this, the first half of the second game. I and think then, he'd die through the first 10 minutes. I don't well, think he has that fitness. I think it'd be like, I've seen sometimes soccer refs when I guess towards the end of the game, they just don't care anymore and they just stand in the center circle and referee the whole game from there. I think he'd do that. <laughs> um, and then just refer everything to the bunker. Yeah, sorry. Couldn't get a good look. Um, what are the touchies think? Uh, from Budu Inya, if you had to choose between your club merging, your club folding or your club being a full-time Q Cup, what would you choose? I saw this question, and the main part of it is which club are we merging with? I've got a Q Cup club, so I don't really want the Broncos fucking that up. Yeah, I, so I've, I've, got around. Tra- I've got a trash Q Cup club, so I probably don't care <laughs> too much about that comp. Um, <laughs> One of the worst teams in rugby league. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if it's which club are we merging with? Yeah, it has to be the Titans, right? Probably, but like if you're merging with the Storm, I'd take that, and then you play like yeah, half your games in Brisbane, half your games in Melbourne. Yep, that's fine. I don't care if it's the Melbourne Storm after the merger, and they just play half their games here, and the Broncos just disappear. That'd be fine. <laughs> what if it's well, someone I'm, like you hate? Like, say it's like the Parramatta Eels. You merging with Parramatta? I don't know. I'm kind of pro the one with the Titans because we could just do to them what the Eagles did to the Bears. Be the Southern Broncos for one year, then kick them out a year later. Like, Western Broncos are back, but made the Eels. That, that causes physical disgust in me, so. No. Yeah, but I know the thought of the Eels causes physical disgust, but imagine if Buddy listens to this, the thought of having to be half Broncos. He would hate that so much, so. <laughs> Uh, from Scotty Howe, if Deaton is the long-term half, what kind of 5'8 would make his best halves partner? I really feel like um, rugby league fans still focus in too much on this kind of stuff, like the, the, the arch- archetypes of halves, when like it's, not, like, there's, it's very rarely that teams are that run ball playing at one running half. There's obviously one that Paul plays more and one that runs a little more, but like, Milford is a fine foil at six to to a seven, you know. Like if just he hasn't had a, an actual seven there next to him, I think that's a fine combination. But I don't think I'm going to go there and say, "Oh, we need a Cameron Munster type who only runs the ball," or we need uh, a Blake Green type who's going to lead from six or any of that garbage. Like just another good player just generally does the job who isn't the exact same as he is. Like Milford and Nickerim are way too similar for me. Yeah, I think you said the same thing about Hunt and Milford as well, right? That worked, man. I know it wasn't perfect, but it kind of worked, right? Like they still, like, we could have won a comp with that half pairing. They just both had two running games that were strong. We had to pick one of them, but like it did work. So you solution with good players, like back Ben Hunt, and pair him with Milford like the glory days. But have Hunt 
in the six like Mary would do and Milford in the seven to engage <laughs> Hunt's running game. Milford to hook up. Work for Hunt. <laughs> Righto. Uh, D. Darrinson, what is the likelihood that Volandis and Gus are the same person? <laughs> uh, uh, well, they're not the same person, but they share a brain. They, they've got their own hive mind. They do. Um this is an interesting one, I think, anyway. Carlos the Dwarf underscore. What's the optimal number of players in a rugby league side and why is it 12? The 12th side gets a lot of shit because Phil Gould proposed it and he's proposed it in solution as a solution to no problem that exists. But if there was a problem that existed, I could be side, I'd be in favour of it. That's a classic one of the cases, mate. I don't actually hate the idea, but because it's peddled by Gus so much. I feel like I have to be totally against it. I just have to be in the opposite camp. But like, you know, if you said if there's anything, any reason rather than thinking you're just going to fix the game up, if you gave me some real reasons behind it, I might get on board. Maybe it will open the game a little more or something or some proper testing. But because it's done on one of those like few opinions, I'm just anti it. If scoring got down to the point where there was like two tries a game every game because defense had gotten so good, then yes, 12 aside is probably the solution. Mm. Agree. None of the problems that exist in the game today need 12 side. The go with that is that you just drop the lock off pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah. Righto. Liam Patrick, 1993. Should Din and Pakes play the rest of the season out as halves pairing? Mm, no, I think Milford and Dearden's a better halves pairing. Same. You've already got yeah. so many kids out there. Putting more kids out there doesn't help. Doesn't it doesn't help Pakes, hey? That's the one thing we hit forgetting about this stuff when we want to drop players. It's like, are you helping the player that steps in? Yeah, we talked um not on the podcast much, but about this when the Knights in twenty sixteen and just like you could bring some some young guys in, but just getting bashed by fifty points every game does not help those young kids. And like especially the forwards they had at the time with I remember seeing some people talk about that and it's like yeah, at some point you want to bring these guys into a competent side that's, you know, half a chance. Yeah, and like I do think Milford probably deserved to get dropped or have a rocket sent up him, but I don't if my if I ever call for Milford being dropped, I still think he's the best half of the team. He should be back in the side, but you know, sometimes when you take the piss, you deserve to lose your jersey for a week or two. Mm. Cameron underscore Sim. Will Milford Milford and Boyd ever be dropped? Probably not. No, we well we've lost 58 nil, 59 nil. Boyd's still there. Um, Muzz on Sport says, what are the stats on the number of coaches who've sacked, we've sacked, who have been educated at Harvard for a weekend? Well, the Broncos have sacked zero, but I think Paul Green did that same course, didn't he? Yeah, well, that's what um, NRL Big said, Green. So current count one, but I mean, we didn't sack him, but yeah, count one, soon to be count two. Five. Weird. Uh, D. Darren said it's a tri- triple barrel here, so I'll answer this in three parts. Uh, any insight to the type of stats and analytics approaches the Broncos might take? I think that's a Doyle question. Well, yeah, I didn't know if it was you or not. I, I have answers there, but I, 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 I'm not going to share them. Not really my information to share f- from uh, my, my work. But um, nah, fair enough. every team has their own different approach and... Um, you know, it, it's opinions, mate. Like a lot of the clubs are like, yeah, I get what you're doing with that. We're looking for those numbers or this numbers. Other clubs are like, man, you're still looking at just missed tackles. That's really the the, the data you're you're at. 
And we are not one of the missed tackles clubs, but I don't always agree with everything the club is assessing either. Yeah, also that might answer more of the second question, but what is the level of variance between clubs in terms of stats capability? Um, lastly here then, who does it well and who does it not so well? Well, just quickly, well, without me actually knowing this, I'm going to guess the Storm do it well and probably the Roosters. <laughs> Um, oh, again, I don't really want to comment on who does it poorly or ba- uh, good or poorly for, for myself, but uh, I would say analytics in rugby league, it's not appreciated by dollars yet. Like being a club analyst doesn't pay you very well. So people who have the skills to be like a data scientist or similar won't end up in an NRL club analyst role outside of having a lot of passion for rugby league because it just doesn't pay enough. I don't know about you, Liam, but like a lot of people, and I know – one player, one man who did work at a club who has a really good analytical background, he did it for a couple of years as a passion project and moved on because it was significantly lower wage to do that than it was to just do his normal profession. Like it's not sustainable for currently for someone to with high skills to be an analyst in that in that regard. Yeah, I think that that's my expectation. Is if like I, if, for me, I would have to give up a pretty comfortable middle management job in engineering, go start again at a football club, and it's just not going to happen. It's, because they're not offering the right opportunities for some to get someone like me in. They're not, I mate. Work sixty hours a week, and I don't want to take a huge pay cut to do for the privilege of doing that. So the, you just don't get those kind of people in the job. You, you don't, mate. It's it's not. There's not much growth from the analyst role currently at either. If you go in there in that, in that role, that's your role there, and you're kind of a bit of the the bottom of the coaching chain on a not not the world's best wage. When you could be making more elsewhere, but as you said, mate, it's one thing to to take the six think being a head coach is sick. But if you're a head coach, you're fully in control. You work 60, 70 hours a week. You're fully in control, all that kind of stuff. But if you're an analyst, you're not. You're down the bottom of that rung, and you still have to work those crazy weeks. And the results isn't really in your hands as much as everybody else. But if your team loses, you are working long hours. You are working after games on Saturday night, cutting vision. On Sunday morning, cutting vision, you are doing all these jobs that no one else wants to do, and a lot of it is cutting vision. And honestly, you don't love that. No one loves doing that forever. It's it's tough, and there is some teams that do some really cool shit with data. A lot of them do, and a lot of them look into it. But um, you know, I wouldn't say it's anything groundbreaking yet. It's certainly different to how fans look at data. A lot of the, a lot of the clubs are a lot of more bespoke things. Like some certain teams, I know, you know, one team has a measure of every game they. They will measure every time they kick from their 40 if the other team's set starts within their 20. It's a one of, of that metric. I'm not going to call it name it, but they have their own name for that. You know, Another team measures every single slow peel their team does. It doesn't get a penalty because they want a slow ruck. That's a measure they have. Another team I know measures you know, every kick they put in, they measure how quick the play the ball was before the kick and then also how many tacklers were in the first tackle who made contact in that on the on the kick to chase to measure their kick chase like teams measure all kinds of different things but you know it's just a you know a one on a piece of paper and they count them and like okay this week guys you got 22 of those last week you got 18 we need you to get 22 when we get 22 we get more we win more it's not a really basic benchmarking they do not a lot of data science or modeling or statistical analysis in that regard on on like you know statistical people though surely that's going to change obviously with time people will want that more like the clubs at the top are striving for every percentage advantage they can get so someone's going to pay someone it's going to help make a difference even a small one it's going to be worth it for the roosters or the storm and then other teams are going to have to do that to keep up 
Yeah, that's kind of what happened in baseball, I think. But I think the return is much less money in rugby league than there is in the majors in America. Yeah, there's, true. There's got to be like a return on investment. And I don't know if analytics has enough of an edge to provide to rugby league that rugby league hasn't already figured out in the last 125 years. Yeah. I'm with you there, mate. I think a bit of the future might be more for anal- analytics from rugby league is that recruitment that we mentioned earlier, finding yeah. similar players and that kind of stuff more so than it is cracking the game open because, you know, as much as I like stats in rugby league and sports, it's one of the beauties of rugby league is it is hard to crack with stats, harder than other sports are to crack. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a situation podcast where it's like Formula One where they've got a team of 12 people like a factory sitting on laptops doing simulations and influencing the strategy in the race. You're not going to have mm. nerds sitting on laptops on the sideline calculating stuff and then influencing the way the game goes. It's just, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah. Um, Campo37 is asking, what's the go with numbers, stats, and things of that nature? <laughs> Uh, Thanks, Campo. Falcon Punch 89. What are stats and why should they always be ignored in favour of the pub slash eye test? Well, I had a serious answer to this, but I think we've actually covered it, which is that the eye test is important, but stats are important too. Way to sit on the fence there. Um, no, I'm with him there, mate. Like, no, I'm okay. still like a bit of an eye take, test guy with league as well, but I also think. Um, I get really sick of the same like four stats being thrown around like they really matter like everything like oh run meters and tackles are high therefore that player is great. Well, this next question is relevant then from Mezit underscore Ozil. Uh, if you could remove one stat from the public footy discourse, what would it be? I want to get rid of play the ball speed because I think it's however it's measured. The fact that it's averaged out doesn't mean much, but it's held up as a a thing the game should be striving for is speeding that up. Yeah, play the ball speed doesn't equate to a fast game because play the ball speed does not measure line speed. Line speed is generally what drives the speed of a game. Yeah, and it, not, but it doesn't correlate with winning in any way either. It's just, it, it doesn't, mate. It, it doesn't tell you a story, which is what... Like, completion rates aren't great, but at least they sort of tell you a story about how the game's going. It's at least correlate with winning... Average playable speed does not. Yeah, it used to a couple of years ago when the measure first came out, and before teams were looking at it as much, there was big, bigger disparity between everyone. But now everyone is looking for the quickest play of the ball ever. Every play of the ball, the averages are pretty close, and it's like really, what does point two of a second matter in a game of a rugby league in a play of the ball? It doesn't matter that much. No, uh, another one but for I... me. Wait, uh, you can go see my. Sorry, story. I was going. Another one. It's calmed down a bit. When it first came out, it was like a big stat everywhere, but post-contact meters, there was like one year where it was just every like four minutes on telecast was like, oh, this is so-and-so's post-contact meters, and I got very over that then now. Um, obviously, I think, you know, you can help seeing this some people, but I think people just think it means more than it does. Definitely, mate. And pretty much everyone's run meters is like 30 to 40% of them are post-contact by like Matt Dufty. But that's one of the ones I was proud of that at the time because, like, it was part of work and it was good to see a new stat that came out and people actually gravitated to. Like, so many times we'll give a new stat to a broadcaster or to someone, you know, the media wise, and no one gives a shit. 
It's one of the first ones that someone just grabbed and took, but it, you, mate, it gets extrapolated way too far. It doesn't matter for a lot of players. It, it matters in a, in a, a, when you get to a point where you're getting a guy who's getting a lot of post-contact, holding a lot of players in that tackle, and then getting a really quick, clean, play the ball on the end of it that gets the team rolling. And that's in the sense that when you see sometimes when the Souths are killing it and Cook was on the back of a really good Tom Burgess run, it mattered in that situation, but most of the runs, post-cut meters don't mean anything. And they don't mean anything as well when some of them are just like the guy falls forward and meter then plays the ball. You got a meter post-contact, you know, didn't mean anything. But um, for me, the one I used to think missed tackles was the one I wanted gone the most because people think that's the only way to grade defense. But the one I want gone most now is tackle efficiency because tackle efficiency is not measuring tackle quality. It is measuring the percentage of tackles you attempted that you completed or didn't allow an offload in. It is not measuring how good you are at tackling. So it's 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 a measure of tackle attempts, not of tackling. Yeah, well, you see then Brady Croft last week when I forget who scored the try, but it's straight past him and he didn't even get a hand on him. And it's like, yep, that's 100% tackle efficiency right there. <laughs> yeah, and they, they get, he, gets, he gets stats though, right? He gets try causes and break causes for that and nobody cares. But like the other week, I know Pete Dell went on Fox or whatever and it was showing how Boyd was missing like one tackle a week. And he still is missing like one or two tackles a week. Yeah, well, who gives a shit? Watch him play. The eye test matters on that one. Boyd might miss one or two tackles, but anyone thinks he's defending well has got rocks in their head. Yep. Righto. Uh, Marshall23 underscore. He's posted a screenshot here of about 25 players, all with either one or two player options each. And he said, discuss. I guess just talking about the amount of player options in the league at the moment. Most of these appear to be Isaac Moses' clients by the looks of them. Um, so and a Chris lot of Barry them said it was, but in the last episode, he said it was a future of negotiations now. Yeah, I think that's kind of what he heard from the Broncos, and it has been a feature of the uh, the Broncos and negotiations. But this this list Marshall's posted here, what most about, of them are Broncos. Maybe a third of them are Broncos. The Broncos have what one, two, three, four, eight. five, six, seven, eight, eight of them. Ra- Raiders have one. Storm have three. Warriors have two. Knights have one. Cowboys three. Parramatta four. Panthers one. Dragons two. Roosters one. And that's a mutual option too. So some of these are mutual options. So, yeah, there's a many a club. Like, again, if you go back to the Panthers, were only one mutual option. That's when both sides have to agree to extend it. We have the club that has player options. And, again, pretty much half of these are Isaac Moses. It's quite clearly been a, a feature of Isaac Moses' negotiations. And we're a club who negotiates with him a lot. He's got one up on us many times. So, but also, some of these two, I don't mind. Like, Kalen Ponga, if he's at the Knights and he wants a player option... I think he's one of those players, you know, for them that you don't mind giving that. Ben Hunt, the Dragons had to give him one. Obviously, they gave him everything else, so why not give him that to, to lure him to the Dragons? I don't really know why Ryan Hall one has, has one at the Roosters for a, a mutual option, but, you know, Mitchell Mose at the Eels, Regan Campbell-Gillard at the Eels. A lot of these players are in the top probably, you know, 10%, 20% of players in the league that doesn't, you know, that makes sense to me. But then we've got, like, yeah, cool. Ethan Bullimore has got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. Like the ones you mentioned there, mate, those were recruitment pieces. Yeah. Like when you wanted to get Hamble Gillard, Madison, Moses, and Nathan Brown, that's part of recruiting those players. For us, all of them were at the club, bar Bird, when, when they were given them. Yeah, and like, it's not good. Jake Turpin went like, he was a rookie that came through the ranks. Like, 
he shouldn't get to say anything he wants, and he's got two player options. He should just get told what he gets, and that's it. Like, yeah. So, are they giving the player options in exchange for lowering the salary that they actually have to pay them year on year? Or I don't get what the go is with offering them in the first place. Neither, mate. I feel like it's like I, I get the go again, as we said, of trying to get someone like a Kalen Ponga to your club or Regan Campbell Gillard to, you know, I know he. He came from the Panthers, but the Eels actually got him to drop the last year of his Panthers deal into an option. Doesn't mean much, but it's something. But uh, yeah, I, I don't get the the mechanism as you said. If it's not for lower wages, why are you giving them to so many players? If they say they're going to walk without getting them, well then off you go. We control your career. You don't. You shouldn't control your career to that length. You know. Like, I, yeah, like, a, a I was going to say, like, if you're giving, sorry, sorry giving Milford a million dollars a year and a player option. It kind of suggests you think he's worth more than a million dollars a year, which has not mm. been borne out by reality. But yeah, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, see, I think when they signed Milford, he was obviously a great player. I think not easily replaceable, the player they had at that point. Some of those players on that list. But then, like I said, Ethan Bullimore, Turpin, a lot of those players at the Broncos, a lot of players elsewhere on that list too. I think they're easily replaceable. I don't think they're like superstars that you can't find another one of. Yeah. And yeah. when does a player option ever benefit the club? Let's be honest. Like if, if Milford is going really well, he's not signing the player option. He's renegotiating. Like I don't, that's why I don't get what there's so many of them. Like, as you said, like Milford has not been worth that million dollars. He was a fair enough offer at the time because he was getting offered similar from other clubs. But like, if he doesn't hit the level we expected, he forces that on us. And if he does, well, he kind of has. He has another year to force negotiation on, on us to say, "Well, I'm going next year now." Actually, if you don't renegotiate with me right now, garbage. Uh, righto, Mac Truck eighty one. What position would Pythagoras have played if he had chosen rugby league over triangles? <laughs> um, I think somebody had the correct answer. To, oh, Buru. Yeah, there's a, there's a great, great just the correct answer. Just go find the picture on Twitter, and then Buru is of course edited the graph with a dick so classic <laughs> he's a genius i don't know how he comes up with those jokes yeah classic <laughs> um now i gotta find my last tweet where was that uh from punt pal why can't the broncos force a damn dropout well they don't chase kicks the kicks come from a long way out there's not really any ability to apply pressure in the red zone I was just going to say we have terrible players, but yeah, that works too. A proper answer. Yeah. I think, like, <laughs> yeah. for the, I know Mitch was saying that running meters not his favourite stat, but Broncos for all the power that they've had in that forward pack, really dominated possession or territory at all since the restart. Yeah. In cases, yeah. those those floggings where losing. You know, the winning team's got 2,200 metres and we've got 1,200. And, yeah, the, the numbers have been inflated a bit by the six-again rule, but even before the restart and before that came in, 1,200 metres wasn't winning you a lot of games. Yeah, oh, mate, I'm with you on team. Running metres is an overall metric. is very important rugby league, mate, because it pretty much, again, it correlates directly with field position and everything. Like, it's part of winning the game. I more so get sick of it when I get told, you know, I had this argument many years ago when people were trying to tell me Woods is as good as for feet as um, Tamalolo because they had similar running meters. It's like no, like if you even with a small bit of context at that point, Tamalolo has never ever been a kick returner. 
he never gets that free 50, 60 metres a game from returning kicks. If you look at just hit-up metres, for example, he's miles ahead of anyone else. But you go look at the guys like Woods, even for Feeder. Feeder, some games, is 100 metres returning kicks. He just returned all the kicks for the Sharks. Is that hard? No, that's what I hate, mate. Run metres in general, yes, good. But as telling me it's like the one-be-all one measurement for forwards, not good. I, um, I don't have a number for this too, so I just kind of what I'm looking at and seeing. But it also seems we get a lot of sets more than some other teams of just the other side dropping bombs just off when Milford puts spirals up, which they're not, they don't go down as a set restart in the stat book, but they're always nice to get those too. Yeah. He's got, well, we, you've discussed before how he's got a kicking game that few other players have, but it doesn't get any attention. At all, mate. Not expected to do it. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think in Adelaide mainly there's no force goal line dropouts because yeah, sometimes you can count on one hand how many times we're in the opposition twenty in a game. Well, that was the last one. We're done. Okay, sweet. Anything you want to plug before we get out of here, Liam? Outside of your your website, any particular articles or similarly want the fans to check out? Um, no, not really. If you have enjoyed what I've had to say tonight, you can follow me at PythagoNRL on Twitter. Or you can just check out the website, which is pythagonrl.com. And please follow me. Gives him a massive dopamine hit, as we know. Like some old <laughs> tweets, even if you want to. <laughs> like a junkie over here. On that page. <laughs> That's it, mate. If I could recommend uh, one or two of your articles, probably the Super League one. What, I can't remember what that one was called. And also the one you, you had about uh, gimmicks will continue about until the flow I think they're like the last it. two I've written. So they should be on the front page. Well, brilliant. There you go. And um, and you had one a few weeks ago that was really good about player uh, – sorry, not player rating, TV ratings as well. So those are the ones I'd recommend. those are the last three I've written. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't you have something about the Redcliffe Dolphins in between there? Surely. Oh, yeah. well, three of the last five. There you go. No, I can't actually remember what you've written. He's just got your front page open right now and just get- – No, I do. I read I read most of his pieces, to be fair. I'd tell him if I didn't. And um, those are the ones that stuck in my mind. <laughs> I've got one from years back, mate, that, that uh, I used to read really early on. And um, back when I didn't even understand half the shit he was talking about in terms of um, percentages and percentiles and all that kind of stuff. I still don't understand half of the stuff. So, you know. <laughs> I just like the graphs. I just, yeah. I show up for some hit-ups from Payne Haas and that's about it. Brilliant. Okay, anyway, I think that's everyone done here. So, yeah, see you later, everybody. Yeah, see you. See you guys.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 